Blog Talk Radio. Hi there, I'm Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio, and this show is a celebration of baby boomers who are embracing life as we grow older. But despite the many upsides of age, a long life means that we have witnessed a number of horrendous events over the years, yet the most horrendous of all was experienced by our parents' generation, and that, of course, was the Holocaust and the tragic events of World War II. And our guest, Alana K. Arnold, has written a riveting account of a young girl and her family who experienced the horrors of that terrible war. And although the book is technically historical fiction, Alana drew heavily upon the experiences of her own grandmother, Frida Teitler, who lived in the town of Cernovus, Romania. The book is entitled The Blood Years, and believe me, you will not be able to put this one down. It's a moving story of love, family, and survival, even under those horrible and darkest of experiences. It's an important work with an incredibly profound message, and I have been so looking forward to speaking with the author. So welcome, Alana. I'm thrilled to have you join us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really excited to help people get to hear about this an important book to me personally, so I'm really grateful to be here. Well, and to Alana, when, before we went on air, uh, I did get an opportunity to, to chat a little bit with you, and I was saying that the boomer generation, my generation, we have, you know, many of our parents were either, say, or especially our dads, American soldiers during the war, or, you know, some of us have roots, you know, go back to Europe, or many of us do. So I want to begin by saying this book is both beautifully and sensitively written. Um, it's moving, and uh, again, I know many of your books are for younger readers, but this one is going to touch and inspire boomers especially. So I want to start out by congratulating you for writing such a meaningful and important work. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. It was 10 years of work. Um, and a lifetime of, you know, digesting um, my grandmother's stories. So I, it means a lot to me to hear that um, that you found it to be so moving. Well, and what you just said, 10 years of work and a lifetime, of course you're getting a lot of acclaim from critics and the general public. And, you know, you are also a well-known author, uh, writing books for middle-grade readers, but also for those adults. And, and we mentioned, like I say before we went on air, that your books truly are for people of all ages. But after getting all that acclaim and, and establishing yourself as a well-known author, what led you to want to write your grandmother's story at this time in your life? Well, I always knew that my my nana's story was um, interesting to me and incredible in its specificity. She was someone, she was a wonderful storyteller, and she delighted in, in the details. So I had a picture in my mind um, of especially the happy events of her childhood, like going you know, going to the, the mountains with her grandfather and being chased by geese to the outhouse, things like that. Um, and as I got older, she told me her stories sort of cyclically over and over again with more and more detail, waiting for me to ask and then filling in more and more of the blanks, uh, which I found to be such a profoundly respectful way to speak to a young person looking back on it, you know, not lying, not saying you're not old enough for that, but just giving the facts and waiting for more information and then asking the question again. And after I became a published author, I think she told me her stories even more deeply and I started collecting memories and writing them down about 12 years ago. Um, 
originally I thought I would write this as a post-apocalyptic novel in which the Holocaust came again, uh, sort of to underline the, the thematic truths about the cyclicality of everything. Um, but then uh, around, I guess it was around 2016, I decided that this book needed to be historical. Um, it didn't feel as much fun to me to sort of play with the idea of creeping fascism in a futuristic world. So I decided I needed to write it as a true historical novel, which was, as you can imagine, an enormous commitment to um, the kind of time I was going to spend researching the region as well as just the history of, of the 30s in general, you know, like how many people had cars and what kind of money were they using in Romania in, you know, 1939 versus 1942. Uh, it, was, it was a lot of work. Oh, I can imagine it was a tremendous amount of work. Uh, and I, I do want to say, too, I mean, I am grateful to be able to speak with you today. The book just recently came out. And with what is going on in the, the world today, I think this book is even more important because it seems that man's inhumanity towards man is never ending. Uh, and it's, it, your story of your grandmother, you know, is actually quite relevant today. And it, it, it's, it's such a major story and an important work, and I'm going to ask you to do almost the impossible, but can you distill a little bit about the events in the story so our listeners will get an overview of the blood years and what happened to the fictional account of your grandmother? Sure. So I'll try not to give too much away. So um, the story is about the war years in Chernovitz, Romania. Romania is a country that killed more Jews, second only, uh, beaten only by Germany, uh, but is relatively underreported on, in part because Romania denied and hid their war crimes um, quite successfully. Um, my grandmother lived in a town called Chernovitz. Um, her name was Frida. In the book, her character is named Frederica. My grandmother asked me to name her character that. Uh, and she had an older sister. Uh, in the book, her name is Ostra. In real life, her name was Ostrid. And the two of them um, had a mother, Anna, who was, you know, uh, sort of mentally fragile uh, after having been left by their father, Alfred. And they moved in with um, their maternal grandfather, uh, Heinrich Fischmann, who she calls Opa. And he became sort of their, their parent um, while their mother sort of languished. And the, the girls grew up um, in an educated, upper-middle-class life um, with the knowledge that uh, the Jews were never quite safe and that things had been bad before, but with the hope that things would be okay now, and then sort of watched the slow creep of, of fascism sort of re-rear its ugly head. Because the Holocaust was, as everybody probably knows, was not the beginning of anti-Semitic hate and violence. It was simply a, a channeling of it in a very sort of major way. But historically, Jews have been um, killed in a series of pogroms all over the world and definitely all over in Eastern Europe. So as they watched the sort of fascism grow and spread and anti-Semitic hate um, become sort of a, you know, a more virulent problem, they at the same time were going to ballet class and um, having to leave the regular school because Jewish kids weren't allowed anymore and having to, um, you know, get corralled into a ghetto um, when the Nazis came. So the book follows, gosh, about eight years of time um, throughout the adolescence of my main character as she sort of struggles with how does one uh, live in a world that wants you to die 
And at the same time, how does one um, act as a sister and as a granddaughter? Um, and I think one of the sort of overriding arcs of this book, I think it's really it's about the great and terrible things that people do in the name of love. Because sometimes in this book, as in her real life, the most wonderful things are done by very terrible people and vice versa. Sometimes um, the most wonderful people do um, terrible things. So um, that sort of nuance and complexity, I think, is often lost these days. We very much want things to have a yes and no binary answer. Uh, and this story, I think, pushes back against that. Yeah, and I'm thinking to you, I had not read really, uh, 10 years of your life going, you know, really doing all the research involved in creating such a, a, a masterwork, I will say. And then also, and also the emotional side of, you know, thinking of your own Nana uh, and, yeah. you know, and what she would have gone through at such a, you know, young adolescence. And, and that period in life is hard anyway. It just seems to me almost yeah. unthinkable to have done that. So I'm wondering if for you as the author, did were there days when you thought, I can't do this anymore. I mean, it must have been emotionally yeah. really difficult. Yeah, there were years. <laughs> so, yeah, so this book I went through a series of seven complete drafts. Um, and my editor, who was wonderful, um, kept telling me that, he said, this is the most brilliant book you've ever written, and it needs, you know, a whole re a page one rewrite, is what he told me after my first draft, which I just couldn't comprehend. And I realized <sighs> it took me a long time to realize that I wasn't capturing the emotional pain of my character. I, I, she was telling the story as if through like a pillow, you know, like a very padded, safe distance. And I realized that's because that's how my grandmother had told me the story. And I knew she was safe at the end because she was my grandmother telling me the story. And I was going to have to really hurt my character in order for the story to be a novel and not just a collection of um, memories, you know, that I was sharing. So that was really difficult um, to, and I you know one of the choices I made was to tell it in first person present tense, which again, I think underlines the cyclicality of the story that, you know, things that are old are happening again. Um, but I, yeah, I really had to embody the character um, and I had to be willing to hurt my Nana, which was uh, very, very difficult. And in fact, it's been continued to be difficult since I've been on book tour. I hadn't realized that talking about, I'm glad to be here, but talking about this book every day um, for the last couple of weeks, is, is it's been intense, especially right now. Yeah, no, I can imagine that. And, and too, I would think, too, many audiences with whom you're speaking have their own stories. Again, you know, especially people my age who know, you know, yeah. stories of their parents, uh, that um, it, it must be, you know, it must be, well, it's cleansing, but it's got to be uh, really mm -hmm. emotional, too. So, again, I applaud mm -hmm. you for your courage in sharing the story. Uh, again, it's, it is fiction. We do have to say it is fiction, but it's based so much on your own family's account. Yeah. And it I did want to ask you. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I want to say it is, it is fiction, but it was incredibly important not to make stuff up, not to sensationalize the Holocaust. Enough truly tragic stuff happened that I felt a moral obligation not to create drama around truly horrific events. So everything that happens in this book, all of the, you know, the family intimacies are more imagined sometimes, but 
all of the tragic broad stroke events happened, either to my grandmother or I found them in my extensive research uh, and then fictionalized them. So, um, yes, I just wanted to make that clear. It's, a, it's sort of a weird hybrid. It's, it is a novel, but it is um, all the major events are all, are all real. Well, and I, I wanted to ask you too. Again, I started out by mentioning you how how well known you are and the, your success as an author, and congratulations on that alone. But I wonder too, in addition to wanting to tell your own family story, the fact that Jewish citizens in Romania at that time their story is not as well known as Jewish citizens in other parts of Europe. Is that another reason? Do you think that maybe provided an impetus for you to write this book? Um, I think as an author, I work with what I have. Um, as I got farther into the research and I realized, I don't think I knew completely that that was true when I started the research. I also didn't know enough about the Romanian situation to truly understand how underreported it was. Even You don't have language to understand something, you know, if, you don't, if you've never heard about it really. I mean, I knew about my nena, but I didn't really understand sort of the greater arc of history in Romania uh, and how Romania itself isn't even necessarily the same anymore. Like the town where my grandmother lived is now Ukraine. And I wanted to go visit it, but Russians invaded um, at the same time as I was doing the research. And just another moment of cyclicality, because that was a big chunk of what happens in this book, is when the Russians invade her city. So uh, watching that happen in real time, the cyclicality, it just felt um, imperative that I write this book. Usually whatever I write, I write it because it feels like I have to write it, which means that I haven't had a uh, a very... um, predictable uh, through line in my career. I write contemporary realistic fiction. I write picture books. I write fairy tales. I wrote, I wrote fantasy, which I never, I never thought of myself as a fantasy author, but I meet the story where I find it and I write it. I never write to the market or um, try to figure out what my next career move should be and from there plan a book, which means that I have a very interesting career, but it also means, honestly, from a business perspective, it is a little harder to gain uh, a following of a readership. And some people want a fantasy novel and some people want a historical novel. And I guess what they get for me is an Alana K. Arnold novel, but it's not necessarily going to follow one or another uh, trajectory. Wow. Well, I mean, too, you write for, you know, you've got various audiences in various places, so that's yeah. got to be something. And we've talked a lot about, again, the horrors of war, the, you know, the really, I don't know, I keep saying horror, terrible, whatever, I don't mean. But yeah, the other thing yeah. be constantly depressing, you had a real gift when you were doing your research, and that is that you found a new friend. And will you share that? That yes. gives me, right now I'm getting goosebumps just talking about that was yes. the universe sending you something very special. It was incredible. So I'm a big believer in primary voices whenever possible, you know, primary historical research, which meant that I read memoirs, uh, many self-published memoirs. Um, And one was written by a woman named Ruth Glassberg Gold. I hope your readers all pick up a copy of her book. It's called Ruth's Journey, a survivor's memoir. And she's, you know, this is engaging, wonderful woman in her 90s. I think she wrote her book when she was probably in her 70s. Uh, and after I finished the book, I, I found her email address and I wrote to her and told her how meaningful the book had been to me and asked if she would be willing to be a reader for me. I was working on my novel and, of course, offered to pay her, which I did. Uh, and we became, oh. this, this, you're going to like this very much. So growing up, my grandmother's accent, I didn't realize how particular it was. 
she was Romanian, but technically, but her family considered themselves to be like Austrian, you know, because the before World War One ended, the, terrier, the territory they were in was part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. So they spoke German and Yiddish at home. Uh, she knew some, um, uh, she spoke um, Romanian in school. She spoke Ruthenian with hired help and people who would bring in um, you know, fruits and vegetables to sell in town. She spoke some Hebrew. Later she had to learn Russian when the Russians came. So she had this very specific accent, which was lost to me because my grandmother died until the moment Ruth answered the phone for the first time. And when she said, hello, my darling, to me over the phone line, I had chills because there was my grandmother's oh. very specific regional accent given back to me again. And Ruth and I have developed a friendship um, we speak regularly. Um, she is, is found family. She told me how proud she was of me a few days ago when she finished the novel. And Aww. since my own family isn't here to say that, it, yeah, I can't think of anything, any review that could be more meaningful than that. Oh, well, I'm just about got tears in my eyes hearing that story. And to add to those tears, I just want to say Opa was such a wonderful presence in the book. And I'm not going to give anything away except for can I give that one line towards the end? Can we say that? I just loved it. And he said we can love more persistently than they can hate. And I, you know, today, boy, I think we need to emblazon that in every room in our house and look at it and really think think about that yeah it's a tenet of judaism that our job is to build the world with love and i when i visit younger readers when i talk to older people anybody that is something that i i encourage us all to remember is that we can build the world with love and part of that is being vulnerable it's being willing to tell our stories to our children and our grandchildren and the way my grandmother did she didn't just tell me the stories where she came off as a hero she allowed me she was vulnerable enough to let me see her in all of her complexity to let me in to her stories. And that is why her story remains alive is because she did that for me. So I really encourage your listeners to be willing to tell their stories to their family and to younger people to please be willing to ask questions. Each and every person has many novels worth of stories in them if we can be curious and vulnerable with one another. Oh, wow. Well, I have, you know, again, this book is so, such a profound message. It's a wonderful book. And we've got another minute or so left. If you don't mind giving me that, uh, I do want to talk about your website because talking about giving back and, and sharing love with the world, in addition to your own work, you support budding authors and writers. And so tell us a little bit about your website and providing those virtual and in person visits, as well as writing classes. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So I, my, I get uh, invited most often to speak about one of my younger middle grade novels called A Boy Called Bat, and I routinely visit uh, schools virtually and in person. So if you have a community who's interested in inviting me, I'd love to come visit. I would love to come and visit uh, communities and talk about this book as well. I also teach uh, writing classes online. I teach a revision class called Revision Season, and I teach a creative um, um, construction class called Vision Season. And you can learn more about my classes and about my other work. And you can also email me. Uh, there's a link. The email goes to me at alanakarnold.com. Well, Alana K. Arnold, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. You are a real light, and I thank you for sharing your work and especially this profound story of your Nana and, uh, and <laughs> Ruth, too. Uh, I really yeah. appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much for helping me spread the word about this book. It means very much to me.
Well, and also, as I'd mentioned before, you know, when we were chatting, this book is really important for people in the boomer generation because it yeah. it is the story of our parents and it is the story of what our, mostly at that point, dads fought for and, you know, the story that's still shaping our lives. It's it's a profound and important message and we have to end with uh, Opa's thoughts about love. So uh, be sure to check out Alana's website uh, and also make Make sure that you get your own copy of The Blood Years because the book is going to move you, it will inspire you, and it will help you remember that connection and love is great despite taking place under very terrible circumstances. So until next time, this is Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio saying I'll catch you later. Bye-bye.